future is now. And welcome to the SVK Crypto Podcast. 15 minutes of crypto value. My name is Charles Story, and I'll be your host along with my co-host, Mr. Oliver Mayer, for the next 15 minutes. Welcome to this edition of When EOS Rules the World. Oliver, what have we got in store today? What are you excited about? What are we going to get through? Lots of really great stories coming out of the, uh, the EOS ecosystem this week. The main focus that I think we should really touch on for this podcast will be the... Uh Kyber Networks, Waterloo, EOS to Ethereum Bridge. I think that's really big news and uh, something that the community will definitely benefit from. So let's touch on that as the main topic. But there's also a lot of other subsidiary stories that we're going to talk about today as well in the podcast. Great. So we're going to hit things off with the Kyber Network, well, Kyber Networks, Waterloo announcement. So do you want to give us kind of a high level overview of what that really has in store for the EOS community as a whole? Yes. Yeah, so what's really important about this is the ability for two smart contracting blockchains, one, on a th- one being Ethereum and one being EOS, and the ability to transfer tokens or assets or just derive state from either one of those blockchains uh, in real time. So really what this bridge will allow is for an individual to to send uh, Ethereum tokens to a, an address on Ethereum, have those tokens locked up in a smart contract, and, and, and that transaction along with a proof will simultaneously generate and mint a transaction and that token on the EOS blockchain. And you know, it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be very, very powerful to connect those two networks together, particularly with the developer community and the projects that are already on Ethereum, giving them access to EOS and vice versa. What I, what I really like about this though, and, and what Kai, the Kyber Networks uh, really laid out in their plan, was, the, was actually how, how much easier EOS made uh, this bridge because of the, the way that delegated proof of stake works. It's in fact a lot easier to, to um, verify transactions uh, on the on the EOS blockchain than it is to do the same thing on Ethereum. With Ethereum, you have to process a lot of the hashes. It takes a lot of um, uh, computing power, so it's not as easy just to spin up. It takes a lot more gas costs to run what they call a light security uh, node. And basically, a light security node doesn't download the whole blockchain. So in order to, you know, if you're thinking about validating transactions, you think you might need to have every transaction that the the blockchain ever did so you can validate it what a light security node does is it only needs to have the merkle proofs to 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 validate those transactions and that's going to be implemented on uh, eos and they've done a really really uh, neat way of doing it that's amazing and what does it mean for the projects let's say that had icos last year and the year before you know when the craze was happening all of those projects that have now raised their capital, that are now building out their teams. Well, hopefully they sold their EFA at the right time, but that are now looking to build out and develop. What does it mean for them that they can now utilize EOS's benefits? Well, it's it really it's really down to cross-chain asset transfer. So if they are able to uh, generate a smart contract on EOS, they can now shift their token supply 
over to uh, to EOS and utilize and benefit from any users that they, they might not have had on Ethereum that are also on EOS. And I think that's key. So we're not talking about necessarily removing that application from Ethereum, mm. but we're just, we're just allowing them now to communicate with EOS and therefore uh, interact with any users that are on EOS. And you know, there are obviously a lot of benefits that we see in applications being on EOS. Of course. And we know from firsthand that projects are interested in coming onto EOS for many of the different reasons that we always talk about with free transactions and scalability and easier development environments. So I think that um, kind of this will enable applications to have multi-blockchain uh, smart contracts and then allow the user to pick which one they would prefer right. to use. And on the flip side of that, for the EOS ecosystem and the EOS protocol itself, we're going to have more users, right? We have increased because the usability has become a lot easier to use and it's going to come a lot easier for developers to port across their existing projects. But also, um, when you look at adoption, this is a really good sign that mm. we're now taking... Well, we're now making it easier for other blockchains to start enabling to use EOS itself, which is really key because a lot of blockchains in the past haven't had that tool. It's been like, okay, we've set up our protocol over here. If you want to take part in all the added value benefits, well, you have to join this, right? Yeah. There was no kind of cross-chain benefits, as you were mentioning. This is really the first of its kind. Yeah, I think that, you know, you can kind of look at this in many different ways. And one, and one of the ways that I see it is that for... For projects like the Kyber Networks to really get interested in building a cross-chain um, relay protocol on EOS, the first thing they'd need is to have validation that EOS is is worth building that relay for. I mean, there's plenty of smart contract platforms out there that don't have this relay and that people aren't interested in building uh, relays for because they don't have the adoption. And, and I guess developers don't see... The potential on that chain so i see it as a really really positive um step in the right direction for the eos community that um protocols like the kyber networks feel that it's worth their time to build a relay onto eos because they see a lot more potential uh we know on EOS, particularly as it pertains to the cross-asset transfers and applications that are operating on ethereum and eos so i see it as very very positive for the community did you know that we're going to be meeting those guys next week I did not, no. So I want to give a special shout out to Lou, Sunny, uh, Yaron and Tao who will potentially be in London next week and I know they've reached out to meet up with us so that'll be really cool to really hear from themselves and potentially get them on the podcast to speak about this as well and why mm. they're excited for this. So Oliver, I know you've done a lot of work on this topic and I know you're extremely excited about it as well. I remember you had some other things really add to this discussion as well yeah I, you know, I didn't really want to get um too technical because i want to kind of appease to the non-technical listen out, listeners out there but i think uh one of the things that this this new project from kyber networks has identified is that uh finality on the eos chain that is you know something that ethereum has probabilistic finality but you know with the eos and their depos bft they have a, a, a Byzantine fault tolerance algorithm built into it. And having that irreversible block really allows for inter-blockchain communication to take place on a, much, on a much faster and I would say easier to implement uh, scale. So I think that's a really, really key point. In the, in the, uh, the origins of EOS, uh, IBC was always a thought. And so it's been developed 
in that way. And finality is one of those key things that really helps with inter-blockchain communication. And the last thing I just wanted to add is that this is really a, the first example of a decentralized relayer that doesn't rely on any trusted federations or any kind of centralization whatsoever. So uh, I'm really excited for this project and uh, uh, just to see how they develop in the coming months. I know they're already working on it on the test net, uh, the jungle test net on EOS. So, you know, let's just see how that proof of concept works and see how they can take that to the next level. So just out of interest, is this open source what they're doing? Will others have the ability to maybe change, implement, add to the base layer code that they're, they're developing? Yeah, so this will be this will uh, be open source, and the code will be uh, will be compiled and put on chain, so anyone can see exactly how the smart contracts operate and how they interoperate with each other. So from a from a security perspective, I'm sure they'll when they come to releasing this on the mainnet, they'll have a full security audit of their code, so everyone can verify that it works how it's supposed to, and there's no bugs. That's great to hear. So what else do the listeners need to know? So the next story I wanted to talk about was uh, a, a merchant uh, can now pay for EOS through a gateway called Coin Payments, and they've recently just enabled EOS on their platform. So now they have, I think, about 2.3 million accounts globally in like 182 different countries, and all those accounts can now send EOS to any merchants that are accepting this uh, and, and pay for goods in that way. And I think that's uh, it's an interesting one. It's, it's, it's more a... An identifier of the adoption of EOS once again, people are now recognizing it as a as a top smart contracting platform, which is great for, for us and everybody in the community. I think that we're a little early on actually using cryptocurrencies as a payment. This is a use case that we've seen a lot here at SVK Crypto. And initially there was a lot of hype around paying for items with cryptocurrencies. And you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of benefits to it. A lot of less fraud goes into those types of transactions, and they can, you know, obviously they can be they can disintermediate the process a lot. But I think from our perspective, um, this is more of a benefit for the EOS as recognition because we see it without stable tokens, and the majority of people who hold crypto at this point in time are doing it on more of an investment purpose rather than a spending purpose. Uh, I think that in the future, when we get maybe the first EOS stable coins come online, they will be a real enabler of uh, of payments, and then we can start talking about the benefits that cryptocurrencies and blockchain has. Uh, from a payments perspective uh, in that realm. But I think as uh, just using EOS tokens to pay for goods, probably not something we're going to see for the next few years really take off. I think that's a really good point you just mentioned. And um, I think you presented that point really well. Because I, in 2016, 17 and 18, people, people, I think, fell in love with the opportunity and the promise and the potential blockchain had, especially as a as a payment tool in day-to-day -day life. And it was just, it was, it's there. It's just gonna be a couple of years out. And mm. I think people saw it, okay, in the next six months, you know, we're gonna be able to do everything via like crypto. There's a little bit out now that we come into the current market conditions we're in. Mm. But you know, that hasn't stopped the technology growth in any way, shape or form. And I completely agree with your points there that it will be implemented. And the recognition EOS is receiving from being accepted is far more important at this current stage. Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's actually a good uh, point to mention as well that you know we have, are very close to the guys over at Flexer who are based in New York and they're operating a, a completely cryptocurrency focused payment network and you know they're really revolutionizing the the the, the industry because 
right now you have many intermediaries in the process. I think it's like as much as 12 intermediaries are in the process between making a payment and that those funds ending up in the merchant's right, bank. Right, so me using my debit card now at the local co-op? Yeah, correct, like a Visa or a MasterCard right. network. And with Flexer, they've completely disintermediated the process to the point where I pay with my phone with cryptocurrencies and then the, 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 the money will get sent to the merchant's bank and there's no intermediaries apart from essentially the Flexer smart contract in the middle. So we're really excited kind of for that technology, but unfortunately I think it's gonna be, like I said, kind of five to 10 years out where we really see the mass adoption of it, but there's definitely some really smart people working on, uh, on the space. Well, in fact, we did a video on that, and myself and Hugh, we went up to the local Starbucks and we actually used, we used EOS, was it? With, yeah. With, yeah, we used EOS on the Flexer app to buy a coffee, seamless process. Yeah. went straight through no what no 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 issues no waiting around like it was done it was as quick as using cash yeah and that's what's really really cool about that is that they have some really big merchants on there that are now willing to accept EOS and they're launching with EOS uh, from inception so I'm, I'm excited to see how that takes off keep an eye on that space so let's talk about the DAP network launch yeah, so the, the DAP network launched last week. I believe it was on Tuesday it launched. And um, and by the way, these guys, Liquid Apps, have done an amazing job thus far. Can you bring us up to speed of what's been going down? Yes, so they launched the network last week. Their initial uh, concept on the network is VRAM, which will allow for contracts, smart contracts on chain to only store really the, the, the core logic on, you know, on the mainnet RAM and really use mainnet RAM more as like a cache that you would find in, in a CPU um, and pull the data that the smart contract needed from IPFS storage into, into the smart contract for, for, for use. And then once the smart contract no, no longer needed to have access to that information in mainnet RAM, pulling that, or well, purging the RAM and pulling that data back to IPFS in its updated state. Um, really, it really kind of a, a great way of uh, deploying the tech as well. When I looked at it, I thought this was a really smart implementation. Um, and I think that some people are also looking at this to be kind of a solution for the state history um, plugins and, 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 and running full history nodes on EOS. And as we spoke with Kevin Rose last week, co-founder of um, EOS New York, that's a big issue. Yeah, so it's it's an issue that is uh, the BPs are very aware of, and a lot of the different BPs are working on different solutions. So it's something that I don't foresee being a problem for a very long time. Um, I think that you know everything's working. Everything is working currently right now. I think people are more just uh, concerned about the dependency on you know a small number of uh, BPs to run this. And you know some of the, some of the BPs that are running these um, these nodes and taking uh, the bulk of the traffic are not in the top twenty one, so they don't they don't benefit from the block rewards. They simply have vote rewards. And what um, the DAP network enables is for a DSP to, which could be a block producer, to spin up and offer full history node services to apps for you know for an, a certain number of tokens staked. So on the DAP network, you take you stake your tokens to a DSP and then the, there is inflation of the, of the DAP token 
and the inflation is paid towards the DSPs based on how much uh, tokens they have staked uh, towards them. So they can get paid for their services and that is a way of kind of uh, separating their payment away from the from the block rewards and the vote rewards on the mainnet and this could be a solution for 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 the problem and it would obviously create a lot more of an incentive for block producers or dsps to to solve this issue now on the other side of that there is another school of thought to say that if a dap has to pay for a dsp to access full history on the blockchain then is it truly a decentralized application at that point since it relies on uh, a single you know a, and i suppose they could employ redundancy in this but it re it relies on a single dsp at that time to provide uh, access to to essentially indexed um, blockchain history which you know as kind of there's kind of uh, a, a permission element to that when you have to pay to access something. So there is a lot of people who are kind of more in favor of creating um, an open source and free solution for all dApps. And I think that it just really comes down to you know how we can how how we can create this in a cost effective way. Um, or potentially maybe increase the block reward to, to, to compensate for that. But it's definitely, it, do, it definitely does get confused because it's not a requirement for, for, for BPs to offer this, uh, offer API endpoints. But, you know, obviously it is a requirement for dApps needing access to this. So I think there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of activity in this sector. We're going to watch it very closely. And, you know, I think my prediction would be that the the ecosystem comes together in kind of how like D-Goods came together to create a framework, uh, to, to create a framework that not only provides a, you know, provides um, a full history node that utilizes the same kind of backend, so the same kind of database structures, but also provides this, a standardized API endpoint so that applications don't need to reprogram themselves to, to access different full history nodes. And these guys have a token as well. Liquid apps have a token. How's their token been doing? What is the use of their token as well? So, so the DAP token is um, is, is currently being uh, d distributed as we speak. There's 333 different distribution intervals, and you know it's kind of it's it's kind of following the same model as EOS. And the price fluctuates based on you know how many tokens they how many EOS tokens get sent to the smart contract divided by the number of uh, tokens they're willing to distribute that day, which is obviously like fixed. And so the DAP tokens really, the, its real use case is to, at the moment, stake, them, stake the DAP tokens to DSPs to access their services. And then based on that, those DSPs will get paid from the inflation of the DAP token proportional to how many DAP tokens they have staked. And how's the sale been going so far? Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's going very well. I think that, um, you know, initially the price has kind of declined over the, over the first kind of week of selling, but, you know, that's not really, I mean, that's not really indicative of things to come, as we know. Right. So I personally, uh, I'm kind of less interested in the price and a lot more interested in the use cases it's facilitating. And and there's also actually been some from real real world activity on, on the DAP network now. So I believe um, Airdrop DAC made an airdrop using using this uh, DAP network. So and and you know the the amount of on chain RAM that they needed was a lot lot less than having to do that all in the mainnet. 
So let's talk about Twitter. There's been a lot of activity on Twitter. And I think the best place to start when we talk about Twitter activity, we got to talk about Brendan Bloomer. He has, um, or for those who don't know, Brendan Bloomer is the CEO of Block One. And he's been putting out a lot of tweets recently. This is one from the other day. And here's the tweet. As we enter the era of data privacy, ownership and regulation, blockchain technology will introduce a new digital mainframe for society, impacting all aspects of commerce, communication and government. I think this is really interesting because Brendan speaking at a blockchain um, event in DC, Washington or Washington DC. And I think it's really interesting how he's been talking a lot about in his tweets, government, data privacy. And I think there may be something there. Do you think there's some talks in the background maybe? Do you think maybe um, Block One have been engaging in conversation with, with um, US officials to talk about the benefits of blockchain? Mm. Uh, what do you, what's your take? Because I know you've been seeing a lot of tweets as well. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, Brendan's very, he under, he understands where he needs to go to get to gain the attention. And we we really do need to have enterprises ad adopting blockchain technology, right? And I think where, where Brendan's coming from is that there are a lot of enterprises already adopting blockchain technology as we know, but in more of a private sense. And I think Brendan's trying to trying to open up the 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 conversation towards utilizing a public blockchain infrastructure like EOS, like the EOS mainnet. Now, where the privacy element comes in is is so important that we can come up with some kind of a system where corporations can utilize this technology in a public way without exposing the data of all of their business practices and activities and customers and clients and i think that's really where you know kind of brendan's touching on this privacy element and uh there's many ways that we've kind of thought about this internally and potentially that might look like um private chains that that's append their block headers to a public network for security or perhaps using zero knowledge proofs or some other private privacy preserving techniques but i definitely think that in order for us to maintain this growth that we're seeing in blockchain technology and to really uh to infiltrate those enterprises this is a key requirement that that needs to be satisfied well, we'll keep you posted on any updates and tweets coming from Brendan. I believe he's mm. speaking, he's, he's doing a keynote at the event in Washington, D.C. regarding uh, data uh, and blockchain technology and the ability to potentially help that. So it'll be interesting to see what the updates are and we'll keep you guys posted. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. It brings a big smile to myself, Oliver and the rest of the team. So make sure you're subscribed. I want to say a big thank you to all of those who have subscribed already. The numbers are through the roof. I'm really blown away by all your continued support. Um, if you haven't already, join us on Telegram, SVK Crowd. If you type that in, you will find us, myself, Oliver, and the rest of the team are super active on there. Follow us on Twitter, at SVK underscore crypto. And we've just appeared in a video that took place in our office, right? We had a meetup, um, and that's on YouTube as yeah. well as of today. So check that out. It's called How We See the Markets. And Shane does a really good, um, really good summary on that as well. So if you haven't already, subscribe. Hit us up on all of our social channels. Is there anything you want to add, Oliver? No, that's it. Uh, well, actually, if you have an interesting project that you think that we should uh, take a look at, then please get in touch with us. Um, you can obviously email Charles or myself, uh, which will have all the links down in the description. So if you have an interesting project, you're looking to either switch over to EOS or build on EOS, then we'd love to know about it. So please get in touch with us um, in the description. Awesome. All this and that's a wrap.
We're gonna bounce.